Welcome to Web and Beyond Live for November 15th, 2021. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, President of W3 Consulting and Managing Director of W3C Web Services, which provides affordable web and WordPress hosting, even Microsoft 365 licenses, domain name registration services, and other web-related products, primarily for small business. And so Web and Beyond Live is our weekly show about topical and timely small business issues related to digital marketing, and so on and so forth. And so welcome everybody to here to who's watching live, those who are listening to the podcast afterward or watching the replay. Uh, feel free to ask your questions in the chat or in the comment section. Feel free to, uh, you know, send those along to me. I'll be happy to answer them as I'm able to. Uh, you can always uh, also tweet at me at W3Consulting at W the number three consulting on Twitter to us as well. And so uh, welcome. And uh, it's been a while since we've been on a regular schedule, so I'm glad to see um, us back on uh, our normal schedule. Although after the new year, we probably are going to shift the the recording schedule just a little bit uh, to see if we can't get a better kind of cadence in and around another time of the day. So uh, for those of you who are watching live, let me know, and I can be happy to kind of see where our schedules might uh, work out better for that. Either way, today I'm going to be covering a whole smattering of different topics around just the the world and what's going on related to digital marketing. So I'm I'm gonna um, dance around a bunch of different topics. And so our first story this week is uh, on the the topic of the kind of coming uh, for folks who are evading taxes. And so um, I'm hoping none of you are doing that, but. <laughs> <laughs> the point being is that uh, they are now going to be requiring payment apps like Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, you name it, to start reporting any payments in the aggregate of $600 USD or more per year. So what that means is, is that if you are transacting business and receiving payments from customers and clients via PayPal, Venmo, Square, Zelle, and, and so on and so forth, now they will be required to go ahead and report, basically issue a 1099K uh, to the IRS saying that they've, they've received at least $600 this year. You have received uh, at least $600 this year in, in payments. Okay, so these are, these are business transactions, so payments for goods and services. So this is not just everyday transaction of funds, but uh, in, a, in a business context. It used to be, you know, you have to have at least 200 uh, business transactions and gross payments of at least 20,000. So that is drastically reduced. Uh, and so now that payment reporting requirement, that tax reporting requirement is going to uh, put a lot more people in the hot seat as it relates to the IRS. So just pay attention that if you are not reporting those incomes coming from those payment apps, you, you need to start doing so uh, starting this year. All right. Uh, and by the way, I'm not a tax advisor. I'm not giving you tax or legal advice. So talk to your, your professional tax advisor. Make sure that you get uh, appropriate um, support there as well. Okay. Uh, this next article is another kind of interesting money-related item in the, the space, but I, I relate this to digital marketing because you could potentially use this for ramping up your business and increasing your marketing budget. Uh, so this is that the U.S. Treasury is, is reauthorizing the State Small Business Credit Initiative. Uh, this is a program uh, back in 2010 that was uh, released, and it has a whole bunch of funds for being able to uh, provide lending, as well as some venture capital programs to small businesses. And so each state 
has to apply for those funds. Once they have those funds, then they can go ahead and make loans or develop venture capital programs and so on and so forth uh, to be able to provide to small businesses. So if you can potentially benefit from one of these, I highly recommend you grab this article link, read it thoroughly, and then reach out to your state, uh, probably your local small business development center or otherwise who can probably put you in touch with the right people or parties to be able to get the process started to see if they're if your state is going to support it. And the, the business needs to be inside the state in which you're applying for that loan, all kinds of other requirements involved. And But I think that if, if you can show hardship, which is one of the criterion, uh, one of the criteria for being able to apply for these aids, for this aid, it's not the only criteria, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a defining one, but it is one of those that uh, uh, kind of help support your, uh, your application for the, for the loan then you could potentially use it for digital marketing budget. You can really help grow your business or help to you know, go from surviving to thriving with the business through these uh, funding programs. So definitely worth checking out if you're looking to grow the business by building all those kinds of things, but also if you're really trying to up your digital marketing in that sense. Uh, another little um, kind of uh, wagging their finger at businesses. The FTC has put out an official warning to over 700 brands for fake reviews. And it's a little bit broader than that. But in essence, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has gone out there and said, hey, you know, we have regulations and specific policies in place for not, uh, you know, defrauding the, the American public. And they have seen a rise in this across social media and e-commerce. Now, the violations for these terms can uh, bring uh, uh, bring in penalties of up to like forty something thousand dollars per penalty. So be mindful of the fact that the the uh, the penalty is it can be pretty high uh, for the business. Now, what they consider a violation is as follows: uh, falsely claiming an endorsement by a third party, so being like Nike endorses this message, you know that kind of thing. Uh, misrepresenting whether an endorser is an actual, current, or recent user. So basically saying like, oh, so and so uses my service or buys my product. And then using an endorsement to make a deceptive performance claim. And so, you know, obviously you, you can, you know, use your imagination for all the ways in which that could be uh, abused. Uh, failing to disclose an unexpected material connection with an endorser, meaning that someone gave you something for being able to uh, have the endorsement. And misrepresenting that the experience of the endorsers represents customers' typical or ordinary experience, right? So this person had an atypical, a unique experience, right? They, uh, like with weight loss programs many times, you know, the person loses uh, 50, 100 pounds, 200 pounds in the course of utilizing this program. Most people are not going to experience that kind of weight loss. And so therefore, you would be required not to misrepresent that their experience is going to also be similar. So that's the kind of thing that the FTC is looking in, in ter looking at in terms of these kinds of misrepresentations, but also remember endorsement rules. And if you're getting paid for any kind of uh, linkage for affiliate revenues, those kinds of things, making sure that you're just putting notices out there, uh, you know, in accordance with the FTC's requirements. So just kind of putting that out there as you're advertising, as you're putting out marketing messages, make sure that you're abiding by the FTC's guidelines there because the penalties are steep. This one's kind of interesting to me from uh, multiple perspectives, but Bitcoin, the probably most popular cryptocurrency, and is is going through a major upgrade over the next couple of weeks or so. And 
um, and so you know it's it's already like the the release has happened, but obviously people will be coming on board with the new one. It's called Taproot, and in essence, it's giving just a couple of of new features to it, but will be fairly important to the overarching ecosystem. One, it's providing now uh, what they're calling greater privacy and and efficiency by uh, encrypting the the aggregate or multiple transaction uh, blocking when that's happening on the chain. That's interesting, if not a little bit, you know, esoteric. Um, it's a little bit interesting to the to the techies of the world. Um, but the most important thing about Taproot is its uh, introduction of smart contracts. You may know smart contracts from the from Ether and the Ethereum network and how that really has been happening. But now smart contracts are coming to Bitcoin itself. This allows you to be able to do business transactions and all kinds of other financial transactions without the use of middlemen in and on the blockchain, this Bitcoin blockchain specifically. This is very interesting. This is going to be a forward movement for Bitcoin. It will continue to keep Bitcoin at the top of the popularity charts in essence, and it will also reduce the uh, cost of being able to utilize Bitcoin, which has been to date getting more and more expensive uh, as, as time has gone on. So this is very, very good. I think this is very positive for the world. And it's it just stands to state that the more Bitcoin and presumably Satoshis or you know whatever the other incremental amounts of uh, of how Bitcoin is used on the Lightning Network and otherwise, it's going to be important for you to start thinking about, are you going to start accepting Bitcoin in your business? And is that going to be a part of your marketing messages, right? Like there is, there is going to be a point where every country is going to have its own digital coin of some kind. They're just being pushed to do that. You know, the US is thinking about it. We actually already have a stable coin, which is the USDC. It's not US government backed, but it is tied to the dollar. So you can, in essence, buy a cryptocurrency that is a dollar for dollar, right? One coin equals $1 kind of thing. But Bitcoin is non-fiat, right? It is it is basically outside of the realm of the governmental control. And that's really unique in its own right. And those people who uh, support Bitcoin are basically saying, we don't want to be tied to the fiat currency, the, the government-owned currencies, because this is about kind of freedoms. This is about the, the concept, the legal concept of freedoms and being able to transact outside of government control. And so there are going to be customers of yours who will have those values and do you need to speak to them and that's really the the point behind discussing this is that from a digital marketing perspective from your business perspective do you need to speak to that group or audience right like if you have potentially folks who are uh, say you're an immigration lawyer or you're um, in a very politically sensitive space or folks who are in uh, a space where they feel maybe uh, discomforted by exchanging you know uh, dollars that can be tracked back to them this may be something to speak to them about saying that hey you can pay in bitcoin and this is going to help protect you uh, to some extent your privacy so that you're not having big checks going to a particular uh, named entity that has a relationship to this kind of work or business. So it's a, it's an interesting area. I think it's going to be something that I continue to pay attention to because really digital currency is the future. We're, we're going to see a decoupling of the uh, fiat currency from being physical matter. I mean, we've had that with credit cards for a long time, and we are just pushing forward in that uh, you know direction in terms of digital currency. Whether or not it's fiat currencies, right? You know, the U.S. 
cryptocurrency of some kind or uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or, or right, all the other uh, cryptocurrencies that are on the market, whatever it falls out, it will be a digital currency. We will go to that point now that cryptocurrency is available to us and capable of being managed completely digitally, right? Creating scarcity and trusting that scarcity, the authenticity of that, of that uh, limited amount of resource. So very interesting. We'll keep on tracking it as we go. Next up is Stripe is reporting um, a new study that tracks changes to, to the digital checkout industry. They did this across the United States, Canada, and Europe, but I only wanted to focus really on the specific things that touched US and Canada here today. Anyway, they studied the top 100 e-commerce websites in the US and Canada, and they did a whole bunch of analysis based on the errors they found and the checkout form design, mobile optimization, localization, and so on and so forth. Uh, this is really interesting for some of the findings. Let's start off with the top. It said that Stripe researchers found that 96%, uh, I'm quoting here, Stripe researchers found that 96% of e-commerce businesses in North America had at least five errors involving their checkout system that made the process more difficult for customers, end quote. So in essence, when people are trying to use your e-commerce systems, whether they're trying to check out in any number of systems, almost universally, all of them found at least five errors in, in, in being able to get, like, I want to give you my money. And for me to give you my money, I experienced at least five errors in you being able to take my money. I mean, it's an, a remarkable statistic there just to kind of think about how difficult it is for customers to take, uh, to give money to businesses for services and goods. Uh, going further, it says more than 40% of respondents said they have doubled or more than doubled the amount of online shopping they do since 2020. Again, I'm quoting there. That means that just in a single year, we have had nearly a doubling or more than doubling of the amount of online shopping consumers are doing. Okay, so more than 40% of respondents said they have doubled or more than doubled the amount of online shopping they do since 2020. Okay, so this is really, really important, which is that if, if those respondents were already doing business, even if nobody else joined the e-commerce purchasing world, those consumers are spending more than double or double what they are spending online since a year ago. So this is very, very powerful stuff to think about and think through as you are thinking, well, do you want to go online? Do you want to start you know, handling and doing e-commerce? And really thinking from a digital marketing perspective, how to package your services along with your goods as, as you would products, because that allows for people to purchase things online. I'll give an example, right? If you sell services by the hour, can you put that into a packaged allotment with a deliverable so that you can charge a flat amount online? And that means you can take money online that you otherwise wouldn't be able to take without sending an itemized invoice of some kind. By doing so, you can sell more of a product or more in a product mindset than you would otherwise be able to do with a short-term service-based business, okay? All right, moving right along in this, there's so many really good uh, pieces here. Uh, again, quoting, nearly 20% of respondents said that they would abandon the e-commerce experience altogether if it took more than one minute to check out. Okay. Now we, we learned from this that if we, if we look at the customer data down below, I'm looking here. Oh yeah. So down here, it says, quote, about half of the respondents said it takes them three minutes to check out in most e-commerce situations. 
close quote. So remember that although there's one fifth of respondents who are saying they, they'd abandon it if it took more than a minute, you know, more than half of them understand that it takes about three minutes to check out. That should be a good standard for you. Try to get your checkout to be roughly between, you know, just under a minute to about three minutes. And you're gonna be right there in the sweet spot for how much time it takes. And it depends upon the complexity of the, of the products they're buying and the amount of product they're buying for any given particular checkout. Going going on here, they said, quote, another 70%, they, they abandoned an order in the last year specifically because the checkout process was long and complicated, end quote. Now, again, just like with forms, like when you're trying to do digital marketing and you're trying to get people to fill out forms, say, sign up for a newsletter, access a lead magnet, or what I call a valuable downloadable asset, you're going to go ahead and have them give up information in order to gain access to that. Well, nearly 20% of them said they abandoned it because it just was too much, too long, too complicated. You want to kind of think about forms and checkout processes in kind of the same way. You want to make this as easy as possible for people. And that includes, you know, having autocompletes, making sure that you give clear error messages, right? Like if something goes wrong in the checkout process, just letting people know what that is. Now, a lot of you may be utilizing tools whereby you don't actually control the prompts or messages in the checkout flow. And this is really important for you to start actually taking an, an assertive role in that and giving that feedback. Say if you're in Shopify or if you're using WooCommerce or if you're using another PayPal, uh, you know, PayPal uh, embedded tool or Wix shops or Square, Squarespace shops, go and give that feedback to those people so that you know, hey, this is not working for you. And if it's not working for you, then you can go to something more bespoke and make it work because this is dollars being left on the table. If you have 100 people showing up to your shop and half of them drop out, you know, because they, they, suffer some kind of experience with it, then you need to start reducing that dropout, that abandoned cart rate by improving the the complicated and long checkout flow that is happening. Okay. Uh, it also notes here that the study, quote, the study notes that even small changes have an effect on checkout process. Retry rates increase by 3.5% when error messages say something like, quote, your card was declined, try a different card, end quote, instead of simply, quote, your card was declined, end quote, ending quote, right? So th this is really, really important to understand that there are these like minor differences that really increase and expedite the, the amount of checkout that's going to happen, the number of, of successful checkouts that are going to happen. Again, I'm just going to read this whole quote here because this is just all kinds of good stuff. Quoting the, the article again, it says nearly 80% did not allow customers to save their payment information for faster checkout next time. Why wouldn't you, right? Half of all consumers said they shop from a mobile device and even more said it was important for a website to support mobile viewing, okay? And so mobile devices are abandoned at twice the rate of those on desktops. When tracking which customer uh, services consumers use, 37% of American consumers and 34% of Canadian consumers use Apple Pay or Google Pay through their mobile device. 37% American, 34% Canadian consumers use Apple Pay or Google Pay through their mobile device. Nearly 80% of, of the checkouts examined by Stripe did not support Apple Pay. 88% of the checkouts did not support Google Pay. Apple Pay is equally as popular in the U.S. and Canada, with 16% of respondents from both countries reporting using the tool. For Google Pay, 20% of U.S. users said they have it, whilst just 7% of Canadians do, end quote. So just 
think about how you are sending the right marketing messages to your customers and then ultimately closing sales through the acceptance of modern uh, checkout technologies. And then of course, how you message inside of the checkout flow is just really important to the overall experience for people as well. It's, in, it's imperative that you make sure that people are aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it for them as they're in that checkout process. Okay, so just a really, really good, uh, you know, lesson in making sure that we're paying attention to all of those pieces. I wanted to touch just very uh, briefly on this. I came across a small business trends article called Start Your Own Amazon Subscription Box Business. And it talks about and it actually walks you through step by step how to start a subscription box uh, service or, or business and how you can do that on the Amazon platform. And so this is kind of like, you know, subscription uh, box uh, book clubs where you you uh, in essence you can you can subscribe to a, a book box uh, club and each month you receive two books and it's kind of a part of the process. Well, Amazon has their own platform for being able to do that and actually have their own book uh, box club, uh, you know, box book club as well. And so they have their own subscription box uh, service for books. And so it walks you through all of these. Again, the the benefits of doing this from a marketing perspective is that. This is really good for businesses who want to create some amount of diversified revenues, right? If you want to have a product business that that extends beyond it, and also that these are highly profitable businesses, you can get 40 to 60% profitability on these things on average. And that means that you have consistent revenues coming in through a platform that's bringing more notability to your business. So how could you how could you relate a physical, you know, box business shipping out boxes of, of materials to people, whether that be materials or uh, products or, or other kinds of, of goods to people that then accelerate and relate to the business you currently have. I think this can be a really interesting marketing uh, you know, concept and how it can be tied to digital goods as well. Because remember that you don't need Amazon for this necessarily, although the whole point of bringing this up is that Amazon can give quite a bit of, of visibility to you through obviously it being Amazon and people are searching Amazon for things. But also remember that digital subscription services where people are receiving digital assets from you on a regular basis can also be a really good stable subscription business as well. So just giving that some consideration as we go into kind of the end of the year and thinking through what next year is going to look like for you. Uh, the more e-commerce that comes online, the more people will be comfortable with spending money online and the more they'll be likely to want ongoing regular, consistent, uh, you know, um, uh, education and entertainment and, you know, other kinds of services provided by you, how can that be mixed into? And maybe a subscription box service could be good for you. Maybe a digital subscription service could be good for you in terms of being able to provide that to customers and make it relate to your primary services, your primary products, and uh, so on and so forth. Okay, uh, next up is, oh, I think I just hit the accessibility. The accessibility uh, function here on the website. <laughs> Hold on one second here. Let's click out of here, click over here, and do that. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, back in October, LinkedIn announced a the launch of LinkedIn Services Marketplace. In essence, what this is is a platform for being able to put short-term services onto LinkedIn as kind of a, a post, right? It's kind of like a job posting for freelance work. And so this is actually a two-sided piece of, 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 of work here. It's a marketplace, right? So there are buyers and there are sellers. And so the idea here is that you as a business first, 
can post here and say, hey, I'm looking to hire someone to help me with a whole range of services. And the range of services cover accounting, coaching and mentoring, consulting, design, events, finance, home improvement, information technology, IT or ICT, information and communications technology, insurance, law, marketing, operations, photography, real estate, software development, and writing. Okay, so there's 17 categories uh, roughly here. And so all of those categories and subcategories are available to freelancers to do work for your business or for other businesses. The really great part is that then as a as a provider of one of those services, like if you provide one of those services, now you can go here and it's free. It used to be that they made you pay for this. Now it is free for you to be able to put up your own profile and actually submit proposals to those requests for proposals. And this is a really simple process. It's not that complicated in terms of the RFP process and say like a government contracting world. It's nothing like that. This is really just a simple way for, for businesses to hire freelancers. And it's all available here now on LinkedIn. So now from a from like a marketing perspective your profile that you create here in the linkedin services marketplace is really important so start thinking about if you do provide any of those short-term services you know that we that i noted in those categories start getting your profile together here and start bidding on some of these projects because you can start really upping your level of you know uh, of work that you do just based on this platform and businesses that are going out and doing that. And of course, they're trying to find people who are local, uh, but you can, of course, do work that is geographically, uh, you know, uh, you know, distanced from you. And it really makes a lot of sense for you to really think through whether or not this platform is going to work for you. But it's worth trying since it's free <laughs> and you get to just create the profile and then go ahead and provide that. And of course, then as a business, if you are consistently struggling to find the right provider of a service, then come here and you can look at the uh, trusted providers listing and see what their ratings are. People are being, um, I'll show you right down here. You can see down uh, below, you'll see profiles and you can see their ratings so that you can see how many ratings and what the ratings are. You know, if they have a four point, you know, five rating and they have, you know, hundreds of reviews, that's going to bode really well for you in terms of um, recognizing that you're going to have a good experience with that particular person. You're going to have minimal issues with that person. So just wanted to point out that the LinkedIn services marketplace is available to you. Uh, just before we close out on the, our primary discussion for today, Google My Business is moving to a new name and it is also moving to the web only. So Google My Business, of course, is the is Google's way for you to put your business on the map, literally on Google Maps, but across the, the local search components of Google. Google My Business is now becoming Google Business Profile. Now this is your business profile already, so it makes sense to call it Google Business Profile. And, and so now, um, the apps are going away. So there's the Google My Business apps. Those are going away and they will basically become embedded in, within the web. They really already are. Like if you Google your own business name, if you're logged into the same Google account that is the manager or owner of that particular profile, you'll now see a chip show up um, or a set of chips show up right there in Google search. And so you will now start to see those things and you'll be able to interact with them directly on the page. So you do a search, for the business, uh, just type in the search of the business, and then you will see the businesses uh, pop up 
the, the functions for Google business profile pop up and you can go right directly to those functionalities. You can still go to business.google.com and then log in there from the dashboard. So all of those things are staying the same. It's just that the apps are probably going to be going away in 2022. And you'll, you're going to start to see just Google business profile showing up as the name across things. So that's really where we're going with things there. I am one of the currently Google My Business product experts, now Google Business Profile product experts in the community forum. So if you have questions, feel free to go to help.google.com and go to the Google Business Profile section on that on that page, and you can post a community forum note. And one of us who are volunteers in the community forum can hopefully help you out. And if we can't, we can put you in touch with someone at Google who can then uh, escalate your support ticket to help you figure out what's going wrong with your Google business profile listing. Okay, so all good there. All right, today I wanted to talk. Um, oh, I, this is just a quick note. So I got Twitter blue <laughs> this past week. And, um, and, I, and I'm really, really liking it. So I'm not liking it for any of the reasons other people are talking about this in, in essence. So this article talks about the fact that with Twitter blue, you can undo tweets. Basically, it's like, you know, when you send an email, and it shows the little sending and then undo just in case you like accidentally sent something too quickly, you have the ability to undo and then it brings the, the email back in draft. That's just basically holding the email there until it sends it. Same thing with Twitter here. So this undo tweets function is not an editing function. It's just basically you see a little button that's that basically times out and then sends the tweet. So you have like whatever time you set, you can set your own time to say, okay, wait 30 seconds, wait 45 seconds until you send this tweet. So you have an opportunity to review it and then let it go. Either way, uh, what I really love about Twitter Blue is that they brought back Nuzzle. So if you don't know what Nuzzle is, Nuzzle was this really great tool that looked at what you were, the followers you had on Twitter and what they were tweeting about. And it kind of grouped those together into its own space into this into this app called Nuzzle. Well, Nuzzle was purchased by Twitter and then shut down and that made me very sad. <laughs> Uh, and so Twitter Blue is actually bringing back the functionalities of Nuzzle in kind of a light way, but I like what they've done. So inside of Twitter web, as well as in, within the mobile app, you now have a, an article section, and that article section has like a little fire, um, little fire next to it. And those articles are akin to what Nuzzle was and gives you a feed of, of the tweets that are related to that particular uh, item. And I just, I really, really like that about it. So for $3, I think I'm paying $3.17 after taxes uh, on uh, for Twitter Blue per month. That's uh, an insignificant amount of money for the the ability to have Nuzzle back. And so I'm very, very happy to have Nuzzle back. And um, they, they're adding a whole bunch of other uh, features to Twitter Blue over time, uh, those are less consequential to me than having Nuzzle back. So that's, I just wanted to let everybody know about how happy I was to have have that. Uh, another quick uh, feature notice, which is that Clubhouse, the audio social network, has uh, brought recording to the platform. It's called replays. And I think it's a fundamental shift in how Clubhouse has been kind of holding out on the idea of ephemeral or, you know, this kind of non-recording audio space. But now they built the feature directly into it. And so now those features are, are coming, those features should be basically released uh, to all of iOS and Android users. Very, very interesting. Uh, they give you the ability to skip speakers. So as you move through a replay of a particular uh, 
audio room. You're capable of skipping from one speaker to the next. And it, it's a nice live experience in a replay format. So I'm very glad to see that they're doing that. And uh, we'll see what happens um, from there. Um, and then, uh, okay, so this brings us to my main topic of discussion for today, which is that there's something called Index Now that has uh, basically launched. Um, this is thanks to Microsoft and I believe Yandex. The 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 Bing search engine, you know, is obviously Microsoft's search engine. But Index Now is a new type of indexing protocol, and instead of a pull method, which is indexes for search engines going out there and looking for new content across your website, your blog, your podcast, or otherwise, Index Now is an open source kind of a bit radical of a change that basically pull, um, you know, basically pushes as opposed to pulls. So the, the pull method is that they go around and they, they pull against all of the various feeds to see whether or not new content is there. They look at the sitemap, they look at all of the pieces, and then they have to basically, you know, go out there and pull all of them. Well, Index Now is, is a software protocol that basically flips it on its head. And the, the idea is to ping just like uh, you, there are all kinds of, of tools out there that do this for blogging, right? Where it basically pings when there are changes. Basically, there's a push message that tells the indexes, hey, we've got a new item here. And the cool part is that index now is, is kind of lateral. So it works with all of the other search engines that you want it to work with. So you can, in essence, ping uh, say Microsoft's Bing, but then Bing will go ahead and let Google and, and Yandex and many other indexes know all at once, which in essence reduces your server load over time. This is incredibly powerful, and I think it's going to create a much more efficient web, which also means that your website hosting is not getting taxed as much, which means that we save energy, uh, we, you know, which is a which is a problem for our planet, right? Uh, but it's also really good because it'll hopefully save you money in the long run in terms of being able to not run an underpowered or under-resourced website, but basically right resourcing your website as opposed to the otherwise. Uh, one really cool piece here is that if you use Cloudflare as your uh, content distribution network or CDN, if you're using it for cloud protection or other kinds of things, you'll probably already have this index now baked into it. And so if you go under cache and then go to crawler hints, there should be a beta feature already announced uh, in the in the uh, tab. And if you turn on crawler hints, it's basically using index now to quickly alert without load on your server that you have new updates. So, you know, say you upload a blog post or, or you update, upload, update a page on your website, this will go ahead and ping the servers and let those search and en search engines know that you've gone ahead and changed content there and they should index that page. And so they don't have to index everything and constantly be coming to your website all the time in order to do that. Incredibly powerful, incredibly efficient. And I'm, I'm really excited to see um, them go ahead and bring this to the world. So thank Microsoft for that in that sense. So really good stuff there. I just think that there are several different platforms that have already done this. I think Wix has done this and, and several other platforms have already brought this. Duda as well, I believe, has, have already brought this to the fore. Uh, WordPress has not. And so this article here, the search engine, uh, search engine journal article, if you scroll all the way to the bottom here, you will see a link to the WordPress uh, community post on this right here. See where it says, uh, you can learn more about index now by going to index.org. But down here, you can see this is the, um, the official, uh, you know, 
uh, commentary that's going on around the WordPress project to hopefully bring Index Now to WordPress, which would mean that if you have a WordPress website, it automatically does this. This is revolutionary, should absolutely be a part of WordPress. And so I really highly recommend that if you have interest in bringing this to the world, go ahead to this article here, this this particular WordPress.org ticket and uh, and and put your thoughts in there, you know, encourage them to go ahead and make this happen. And I think it's just going to make a, a better and more efficient web. And so those are what I wanted to really talk about today in terms of digital marketing on the web. And so we've come to the end of our time together uh, this week. Uh, if you've enjoyed the live stream, feel free to click the thumbs up icon that helps us make new small business friends. And so thank you for doing that. If you have a question, as I told you at the top, feel free to leave a comment, leave your questions there in the chat. You can also tweet or message me at W3Consulting on the Twitters. Uh, join us on uh, Mondays, typically at 11 a.m. Eastern. Again, like I said, after the holidays uh, and after the new year, we're probably going to be switching it up a little bit to a different time, but I'll let you all know how that's going to work thereafter. And we're going to be taking some breaks because of the holidays, so we're going to be off a little bit here and there, but I'll keep tweeting and messaging on the, on the social networks when we are going live, so you have a bit of, of notice there. But thanks so much for spending this Web and Beyond live with me. I'm Ray Sidney Smith on behalf of W3 Consulting and our subsidiary W3C Web Services. Have a great week ahead marketing and managing your small business on the Web and Beyond.